Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. True Hauntings is a Frightfully Good production. During the mid-1930s, the British and overseas newspapers were filled with extraordinary tales of Jeff, a creature referred to as a talking mongoose, or man-weasel, which was said to have appeared in the home of the Irvings, a farming family residing in a remote area of the Isle of Man. According to reports, the creature was capable of speaking in various languages, singing, stealing objects from nearby farms and eavesdropping on local individuals. Despite the presence of written reports, magazine articles, books, several photographs, fur samples, paw prints, extensive correspondence and eyewitness accounts, there is still no real agreement on what precisely happened to the Irving family. Was it a hoax? An extreme case of shared psychosis? a poltergeist, the result of an animal being possessed by an evil spirit. Hi, I'm Renata. And I'm Anne. And in this week's episode of the True Hauntings podcast, we will go through the story of a mysterious and very bizarre haunting dating back almost 100 years. Was Jeff the talking mongoose real? We will let you decide. Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow, forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. Listen to this story of the occult, to a description of incidents which beggar description details as far as we are able to present them of events which have no equal in fact or fiction, and yet which are solemnly vouched for by people whose sanity brooks no question. It is the story of what has been elsewhere described as 
the spook of Dalby. A spook, which is not a spook, nor, if we accept the word of responsible persons, is it the invention of an unbalanced mental state. Residents in the west of the island are being fanned into a state of amazement and incredulity as the result of strange happenings which are reported to have taken place at the small farmstead now known as Dawlish Cashin Farm Dalby. We have no desire to enter into the realms of journalistic sensation and must say that when we first heard of these incidents, we were disposed to be sceptical, frankly, to disbelieve. After inquiry into some of the circumstances, however, we are less inclined to be openly cynical. On the other hand, we have had evidence given to us by a responsible person which compels us to confess to an awesome respect for the existence of some uncanny creature which appears to have mental powers equal to those of any human being, some hybrid creature of the rodent type which, it is claimed, possesses powers of speech and reasoning to an extent that leaves us hopelessly perplexed and impelled to believe the unbelievable. Hey, Anne, we've got a really interesting story this time around. Oh, boy, do we. I'm so glad that we decided to do this one because I've really enjoyed it. Yes, I've I've kind of looked at this before. Um, mm-hmm. When we were doing some stuff for um, an American yeah. um, production, yep. uh, we sort of touched on this. And, of course, it's one that has seen uh, the famous Harry Price go out and even yes. have a look. Um, so I'm glad we're doing it again. Yes, well, we had a touch before. Now we're going to have a grope. <laughs> God, you went I'm there. going in for the grope. You went there early. I did, I did. <laughs> okay, so we're going back to the early 1900s here and uh, we're examining the life of the Irwin. Irwin? <laughs> Irwin? <laughs> we were trying, trying to say the daughter's name and now we can't say the easy name. <laughs> So we're going back to the early 1900s now and we're examining the life of the Irvings who moved to a remote farmhouse on the Isle of Man uh, in an area known as Dorlish Cation, which is about a mile from the tiny village of Dalby. Now, they lived a pretty uneventful life there until the 1930s. And when you look at the picture of the farmhouse, I wouldn't be going there. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not It's not a pretty picture. I don't think we get to a two-star motel rating on that one. No, no, Maybe one? No. No, there's no stars because Half? there was no electricity and no running water there. Oh, no. That's it. Was, oh. was there a long drop? I don't know. I don't know. It looked tiny um, from the picture. Um, and we will post pictures up for you so that you can have a look at it um, or Google, whatever you like. But in the 1930s, so they were there for a, you know a fair bit of time. They were there for one, over 10 years before things kind of started to ramp up and happen. Um, it's when a, a talking mongoose named Jeff appeared in their lives and took over, literally. And that's such an everyday occurrence, it is, isn't it? it? To is. have Jeff the mongoose come in and start chatting to you. Yeah, and uh, I mean, even the whole idea of a mongoose on uh, the Isle of Man, and I'll, I'll get to 
the possibility of why, but yes. And so you had the family. The family consisted of James T. Irving and his wife, Margaret, and their 13-year-old daughter, Vori. And depending on what you read, it, she may be 12 or 13, but it, I mean, that doesn't really matter. And the story is really about what happened in the years after that when Jeff seemed to uh, take complete control of the family uh, and become uh, an absolute star. Um, the best thing that has happened to the Isle of Man since that horrendous bike race, that motorbike race that just... You kind of oh, sit back and go. That. Yeah, that's what that happens on the Isle of Man. Yeah, that crazy thing. Um, that's worth looking at. Um, and over the years, there were plenty of uh, articles <laughs> written about Jeff. There were plenty of books. There were stories. There were newspaper articles, photographs. Funny how there wasn't really one photograph of of Jeff. Mm. He was a bit camera shy. They didn't like the camera. No. And um, he would choose very much who he wanted to speak to. Yep. And, of course, there were a couple of very, very famous parapsychologists who, or, and or ghost hunters and or yep. uh, who went out and tried to work out, you know, what had happened. Most of this particular article um, or information that I'm going to be reading from is from a chronicle that was written by a gentleman called Christopher Joseph who uh, spent quite a number of years putting together as many facts as he could. He wrote over 400 pages. And uh, his booklet or book is called Jeff, the Strange Tale of an Extra Special Talking Mongoose. And it sounds like a kid's story, doesn't yeah, it? Did, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's called The Definitive Account of a Story That Refuses to Become Definitive a mystery whose possible explanations only invite more questions. And I'm going to be sticking to the story side of some of the things that happened, uh, and then you're going to go in and you know talk about um, what you found. Mm. Mm. And as usual, just at the very end, I found a really good article. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I kind of don't want this to be, you know, Well, we don't know. Apart. Don't, I don't. No, just, just don't. Count your chickens before they hatch. But tell me, Renata, if somebody came up to us and said, I've got a wombat that's talking to me and telling me to do things, would you come and investigate? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, okay. I would. I would. Okay. I would. I suppose I'd have to drive. <laughs> <laughs> so the family first discovered Jeff when they started to hear noises from inside the walls of the house, which mm -hmm. is very similar to a lot of other poltergeist stuff that, you know, you, you hear about. There was barking, there was growling, there was spitting uh, inside the walls, and it would go from one wall to another. So it kind of, you know, when you walked up to where you thought the sound was, the sound would appear on the other side of the room. Yeah. Very poltergeist-like. Very poltergeist-like. And they've got a 13-year-old girl in there as well. So, yes. I mean... Yes. Let's just tick that box. We're done. We don't need to go any further, surely. Ah, but we do. Oh. Uh, so uh, Daddy Irving tried to capture whatever it was. They thought it could be rats or something inside the walls. Well, that's what I'd assume it was. And so they set traps. They tried to set poisons. They tried to shoot whatever it was with a gun. Oh, dear. But Jeff was always too smart and wouldn't be caught. Now, one thing is that... 
this thing was never called Jeff in the first place. He no. gave himself that name. Oh, did um, he? I, they called him another name, and I'm just going to go back to see if I can find it. So initially they called this creature Jack, yeah. and um, they got a glimpse of it on October the 20th, and they say that it was a yellow and brown rat-like animal with a long bushy tail, and often this is what you find when you look at articles um, and it's like a, a little drawing of this creature. Now, the animal just looked at them for a little while, allegedly. And this is James and James and Vori. Uh, it continued to make noises. And by December, these noises started to become less animal-like and just weirder. kind of sounded a bit like a baby trying to talk and before long it started to create words it started to they they were hearing what sounded like distinctive words coming from inside the walls and the Irvings told this to the Isle of Man examiner um, later on in many years um, afterwards that this was kind of the turning point because for Vori, it then became a real curiosity. And she started to teach this creature to talk and expand its language. Yeah, I think she was like teaching it nursery rhymes and things yes. like that. Yeah, yeah. And it would mimic. Yep. So, and it would happen very, very quickly. So, within a week from starting baby language, um, Jack, at this stage, could repeat these nursery rhymes word for word. Now, this queer little creature uh, repeated parts of conversations, also discussed private lives of them, um, and could, what it said, go off to other farmhouses, listen to gossip, come back and relate it. Yep. I'm liking this. <laughs> That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> and then Jeff not only spoke English, or Jack, Jeff, he did change his name to Jeff, spelled G-E-F, um, but he also picked up other languages, which included French, German, Yiddish, Flemish, Spanish and Hebrew. My so, goodness. So did Vori teach him those as well? I don't know. Did he go and listen to these from the neighbours and pick up that language? Uh, I don't know. Might just be mystical. Now, he also enjoyed singing songs, telling jokes. He could change shape. And he also appeared to be clairvoyant. Now, we are talking about what they, they're assuming is a mongoose right now. Yes. Which is, yeah, pretty weird. So, they're kind of thinking, first of all, you know, it's appearing as an animal, but is it? You know, is it, is it some sort of ghost that's taken over this this body of this animal? Is it some sort of a cryptid? Is it a hallucination? Um, James had a real difficult time trying to, you know, take all of this in. Now, I'm going to go back to James for a moment because what I forgot to mention was that James had a thriving business before he went to the Isle of Man. Mm -hmm. He actually um, fell on really hard financial times 
And so the, the family, when he was a traveling salesman, and I think he sold pianos or something like that, he, um, they did very, very well. And all of a sudden, they've gone to as far away as you can possibly get, the Isle of Man. And, you know, back in the 1930s, there would not have been any entertainment or very little over there. Um, and it's, it's like the end of the world. And they've come into a house that has, like I said, no heating, no water. So they would have come from a very nice way of living. To, to desolation yeah. and despair. Wow. Happy times, everyone. So I, I just want to kind of layer that in because I actually forgot to, to mention that. Uh, he, when we go back to James, he would never really kind of pinpoint what he thought this animal was. He kept on changing his mind all the time, I think, because he was battling very hard to work out what it was, especially when he was asked. I mean, what do you say? It's, it's, it's a mongoose. It's it's some sort of hybrid animal. It's I'm talking to a ghost, but the turning point came when um, he, Jeff himself would claim what he was. Oh yes. and tell the family. Oh yes, and so, so it makes sense, doesn't it, when he tells them what he is? Yeah. So <laughs> he said that he was an Indian mongoose and that he was born 80 years earlier on June the seventh, 1852, and that he had come from Delhi. So he was initially known as the Dalby Spook um, and a talking mongoose, which he didn't want to call himself. He just identified himself as a mongoose. Um, And the Isle of Man is pretty much a place with lots of myths, legends and fairy tales. So it's kind of not too difficult to stretch the mind that most people from the Isle of Man would, would kind of go, oh, yeah. But remember, the Irvings are not from the Isle of Man. No. They're foreigners. Hmm. So, Jeff had a mean streak. So, up till this point in time, he's being taught. He's he's kind of gaining empowerment. He's learning how to speak. He's, he's feeling that he's a member of the family. They're not going to kick him out. He's wandering all around um, the island, getting gossip and everything. But then he starts to insult the family. He insults them. He threatens them. He even throws rocks at the family. And, you know, within a year of all of this, they had to strike up a truce um, where they kind of said to Jeff, look, you can become part of the family, but you've got to stop all of this because, you know, this is really hurting us. Now, he would eat the food that they left behind for him, but he would also go and catch and kill lots of rabbits. Yeah. And bring them back. As gifts. As gifts, yeah. Now, the Irvings could even make a a little bit of money by actually selling the extra rabbits um, down in Dalby. So it was like... Oh, that was helpful. He's almost paying his keep, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And he would also offer to slaughter the livestock of any of Irving's enemies uh, if they bothered him. Only if the family looked after him and made sure he was okay. That's creepy. Mm. <laughs> That's really creepy. So, yeah, he, his main streak started to border on real violence. So even though they, um, you know, he'd kind of, it's, it's, it's like this, this person who has a split personality. I'm going to be really nice to you and then I'm, t- I'm turning into an evil tyrant. And then I'll bring you a gift and say sorry. 
Yeah, really. That that is quite manipulative, isn't it? Yes. If you think of abusive relationships, mm-hmm. that's exactly what happens. Yep. Because he he says, if you are kind to me, I will bring you good luck. If you are not kind, I will kill all your poultry. I can get them wherever you put them. And he also said, you don't know what damage or harm I might do if I was roused. I could kill you all if I liked, but I won't. So you that's can such that's. Yes, yeah. that is domestic abuse right yep. there. Yep, isn't that isn't that terrible? Now the only person that he was totally committed to and protective of was Vori. Mm-hmm. That is the only one, and he kind of slept in the house. Well, he had a little nest yes. up near her room, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now word got out about Jeff on the Isle of Man, and uh, Jeff became a local celebrity. So there were lots of paranormal investigators, there were spiritualists, there were skeptics, and they would um, come out to the farmhouse and try and figure out what was you know, happening. So it was about evidence. Um, now, there was a spiritualist book publicist called Nora Nichols uh, who came out and tried to get information. So she was just one of them. And uh, Jeff really didn't like her. He didn't want to go anywhere near her because um, it. She was a, an outward skeptic, and yes, he didn't like skeptics. No, he'd say, "Don't bring them here. They they bring the bad juju, or yes, or um, they they don't believe in the magic, or something like that." Yeah. So he he absolutely chose to show himself in whatever way um, around people who really believed that he existed. But did he really show himself? Well, no. No. It's only one person who really saw him mm-hmm. and maybe a second one. Mm-hmm. But I'll get into that later. <laughs> now, you did talk about the fact that um, not many people saw Jeff. Mm-hmm. Um, and in these notes in this huge book that was written about him, uh, it states that a few locals, other than the Irvings themselves, claim to have seen Jeff. You'd want to say that, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. So, I've seen him. Oh, yeah. I've seen him. I'm important. I'm special. Yeah. Now, in the field behind Gordon Chapel, 10-year-old Will Cubbon recalled seeing a little yellow animal with fluffy fur and a black tip at the end of his tail. He was close to the hedge of the field and running very fast, Will said. Now, on another occasion, Doris Cashin, 16 saw the animal crossing the high road. She said he was a light yellow, bushy tail and a black tuft at the end. So they're both children. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Now, we know that Harry Price got uh, hold of this, and I'm going to leave that to you. But Harry investigated this case on and off for about four years, and he kept on wanting proof, 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 proof. I don't blame him. So he asked Vori. Um, to try and take a photo of him. And he actually gave her a Kodak camera. Um, Which would have been something pretty wonderful back then. Yes, yes. And she did deliver some photos, but they weren't in any way convincing. Yes, I have some information on the photos. Yes. (laughs) Now, this went on for quite some time, um, years and years and years. No one really got, got to, unless you can change that no one really with you know what you found Mm -hmm. um no one really got to try and really understand what was going on there um of course 
in the end, all of this became too chaotic for the Irving family. They couldn't stand the constant ridicule. They couldn't stand the um, constant people coming over to try and you know, create stories and to ask them the same questions over and over again. And so they eventually left. They sold the place. Oh, okay. And there was a gentleman called Leslie Graham who came in and bought it. Now, because of this whole thing of it being haunted, it sold for well under what it was worth. Goodness, when you look at the picture... It doesn't look like you'd get a lot of money for it. But anyway, yeah. Yep. And uh, James and Margaret and Vori all went to their graves saying that all of this was real. So Vori died in 2005. and um, That's not that long ago. She, she still demanded right towards the end that all of this whole thing was real. Now, Leslie Graham... Um, publicly proclaimed in um, uh, in a, a year after he had moved into the house that he had shot Jeff dead. Yeah, there's a picture of him with it or something, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. He's holding it up yeah. and uh, he'd shot him dead. He said he heard noises within the house as well, um, but he'd found Jeff. Um, he said the body was larger than the animal's given description and when Vori saw the picture, she insisted that it wasn't Jeff. Yeah. And, um, yeah, she she said, you're making all of this up. This is not Jeff. I reckon that he's just done that just to, make to stop. Make people stop. Make the people stop talking about it and then they go, oh, it's dead now. So his property then becomes more valuable, doesn't it? Yes. And I'm going to also mention one thing Um I did actually find another bit of chatter about the house before the Irvings came in. There were apparently some workers that had been working on the house prior to the Irvings moving into it who also claimed to have heard weird noises and scratching. Yeah, I've got a, another story about that as well, yeah. about uh, the land and what was there, possibly. Mm-hmm. So they actually were so frightened of it that they kind of said they didn't want to go back and work there. Um, so, yeah, this, it's kind of, it's not just the Irvings. It's no. a few more people that are adding to this story all the way along. It's a conundrum. It really is. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if this was happening before the Irvings arrived, was it then Vori who triggered all of this if it was happening prior to the Irvings? It's, yeah, and like like they say with this, the more you look into it, the more you start to find that doesn't sit well and doesn't kind of all answer the whole thing. Unless you've come up with something very, well, very we'll interesting. Um, oh, there was one more thing that I wanted to say. No, actually, I'm, I'm not going to say it. I'm going to... Um, I'll keep it's, us in suspenders, remember? No, it's, it's probably something you're going to say. So, well, uh, if I don't... I'll, I'll finish it there. If, yep. if I don't, if you don't, I'll come back and say something. It may be nothing. So, you you carry on. All right. Yep. Um, 
so I'm going to try and get some insight into what as to what people thought might be going on. This is one of these cases that it's not like the history and then the phenomena. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of all blended in. So we had to try and work out how we were going to separate it. So some people now looking back on this case think that it's all to do with Vori. They think that, again, she's a young girl, uh, she's at that age, and that Geff was actually a manifestation from her and a type of poltergeist. They believe that uh, it was unresolved emotional stress or repressed anger or hostility or sexual tension. (laughs) Uh, But there was no actual spirit or entity involved. It's just, it's her. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think that was just a cop-out. I think there was too much going on to be able to claim that it's a poltergeist. Yeah, they said that she was a really good ventriloquist. Yes. Uh, And even one of her friends actually said, oh, yeah, she can throw a voice. Well, will we just finish up there now? I'll just... Oh, sorry. (laughs) Oh, she's given away the juice before I'm ready to to, uh, present it. Uh, Now, there was also, uh, as you were saying, Harry Price was uh, asked to investigate and he sent a letter. Uh, The father sent a letter to Harry uh, describing what was going on. The animal in question has been seen by myself and my daughter of 14 in one of the two bedrooms of the house on several occasions in the month of October last year. My daughter has on two occasions in January 1932 seen its tail only in the small back kitchen, in a hole in the wall. My wife has seen it on one occasion, only in October. The colour is yellow, not too pronounced after the ferret. The tail is long and bushy. You didn't read this out, did you? No. No. <laughs> Just, it was sort of, I've, I've read so many things so many times, I'm yeah. thinking, am I repeating myself? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in size, about the length of three parts grown rat in the body without the tail. It can and does pass through a hole of one and a half inches diameter. So that's three centimetres. That's not big. That's not big at all. I personally am strongly inclined to view that it is a hybrid between a stoat and a ferret. The bushy tail is not that of a stoat and the size certainly half that of the ferrets I've examined. My daughter says the face is all yellow with, and the shape is more that of a hedgehog, but flattened at the snout after the fashion of a domestic pig. So you're getting all that in your head. Mm. The picture I've seen of it looks a bit like a squirrel. It does look a little bit like a squirrel. Uh, now, they, he also goes on to talk about Jeff's abilities. Now, as regards its speaking ability, it did not possess this power until the first week of in November. So October to November, as you said, that was really quick. Mm. But now converses, incredible as it is, as rationally... Uh, as most human beings, Irvin's added, it pronounces its presence by uh, calling either myself or my wife by our Christian names. It apparently can see in the dark and describe the movements of my hands. It he- Its hearing powers are phenomenal. It's no use whispering. It detects a whisper at 15 to 20 feet away, tells you what you are whispering, and repeats exactly what you have just said. Wow. So Price was... Interested. Mm-hmm. He was definitely interested. Oh, you would so be interested. He decided he would send someone over because he was actually investigating someone else at the time and it was wrapped up in that and he couldn't leave. So he sent a representative of the National Laboratories Council by the name of Captain MacDonald in February of 1932. 
Now, McDonald's report to Price showed the evidence of supernatural events to be very slim. He noted that talking done by Jeff was only occurring when uh, when Vori was absent from the room. Not absent from the house, just absent from the room. And that the animal would uh, only speak if Vori were gifted with a camera or a gramophone. Right. Hello? Ah. Yes. We want some little gains there. Give the girl something and we will talk. Right. Uh, There was a a little stream of water running from a small hole in the wall, which Mr. Irving said was the animal performing its natural functions. (laughs) It was having a little wee-wee out through the hole. Isn't that lovely? Now, before I just go into the next part, I also have to say that I found an inconsistency with some of the reports because one of the things I read about... uh, Harry Price was that he sent over someone called Harold Dennis to Cashin's Gap, which is something completely different to the other one. The captain. The captain. Yep. So who was it? Or were they two different people that went over? And then there's another one that's completely different, which we will get to. But yeah, just that little bit of an inconsistency threw me there. Now, I wanted to talk about the actual construction of the house because it could be important. So this was from when Harry Price actually got there because he didn't get there till 1935 and he went with a colleague, which was R.S. Lambert, and Jeff refused to appear. He didn't speak. They didn't see him. There was no bangs. There was no knocks. But he, Jeff the Mongoose the whole time had been saying, don't send Harry Price. Whatever you do, don't send Harry Price. So Harry's finally turned up. So, of course, he's not going to have anything to do with him if he exists but price did note that the the house was heavily paneled double walls that left a three inch gap which caused sound to carry in a strange way he also noticed that uh there was jeff's sanctum which was in vori's room towards the ceiling where he could hang out and bounce his favorite ball uh apparently jeff became active once they left interesting but i remember reading in one of the things i said that the way the house was constructed it became almost like a sound tube so you could actually say something in one room and it would funnel through to make it sound like it was coming from the the wall that you're at in a, in a completely different room hmm Interesting. Uh, bit like the way at Maitland Jail when the prisoners used to communicate through the toilet systems. Mm-hmm. They cistern. They would use the, the piping to mm-hmm. communicate because the sound would travel. Mm-hmm. So it's possible because we did say at one stage that uh, Vori was not in the house when uh, sometimes Jeff, Jeff was heard. But she wasn't far away. She was never completely away from the house. No, she never was. No. She was just in a different area. Yeah. Now, also, at the age of 13, she left school. She withdrew from public schooling and became almost a recluse on the farm, preferring the company of her dog to humans. Mm-hmm. So there is some sort of withdrawal happening there, which... 
Did that happen before? At the age of 13. So it would have been right at the start when all this started happening. Mm -hmm. I also found one comment, just one comment in an article somewhere that said that the father may have been a little bit of a tyrant. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com/acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. One comment. Hmm. So, yes, accounts suggesting that James Irving was somewhat something of a domestic tyrant. Hmm. So was there something going on with the family that he's packed them all up and taken them out to a very isolated farm a mile from any other neighbour where 
they can't have friends. She had no friends. But it also, I mean, if he had, if his business disintegrated, yeah. and that was the only thing they could find that they could afford. Well, he thought he'd give farming a go. That's where they went. That's so he he bought this property with the idea is that they were going to make their their fortune through farming, but it was such hard land to work yeah. that they couldn't do anything with yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. Now, the next thing that was done was that Harry had asked one of the investigators to send back some sample of the hair or fur or whatever it was mm-hmm. that Jeff was made up of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he uh, did request that and they found some an- uh, animal... Hang on, let me get my tongue back into my mouth. At the request of Mrs Irving, the animal pulled some fur off his back, some off his tail, and a few dark hairs from the end of his tail. This was jun- done during the night and Jeff placed the exhibits in a bowl in the living room. Then the mongoose called out, Look in the ornament on the mantel shelf and you will see something frail. So, of course, they came out and had a look and they found the fur. So it was the mother that organised this. This was then sent to Captain MacDonald, who asked Mr Price to identify it. So uh, Harry went and sent the hair off to a Professor Julian Huxley, who handed it to a Mr F. Martin uh, Duncan uh, who was an authority on hair and fur identification, because it's always handy to have one of those handy. Uh, and they said they have carefully examined microscopically and compared them with the hairs of known origin in the collection that they had. And as a result, they can definitely state that the specimen hairs never grew upon a mongoose, nor are they those of a rabbit, rat, hare, squirrel, rodent, or sheep, goat, or cow. But inclined to think the hairs have probably come from a longish-haired dog or dogs. Now, her uh, very uh, her companion... Mm-hmm. was a sheepdog. Sheepdog. Mona. So it just happens to be the same hair yeah. off the dog. There Sorry. was also a footprint... Yes, mm-hmm. I've got the footprints, but there was a second hair sample that was sent through early in May in 1935. Uh, Jeff pulled some more fur out of his back and from the tip of his tail, and apparently his eyebrows, and he said, oh, God, it did hurt. <laughs> Bless <Yes>. him. <laughs> and they were sent for identification, and the so-called eyebrow is obviously one of the vibriaceae uh, or coarse hairs that are found about the mouth of mammals, such as whiskers from a cat oh. or a dog. Oh. Wow. Mm. Yeah, it, it's a little bit sad. Now we're going to move on to the teeth and claws, because these people are trying to give some evidence. So they managed to get some imprints of Jeff's teeth and claws, because he used to gnaw on things and uh, I think they also found some footprints outside at some stage or other so they made it out of modelling clay and they were sent to Harry Price as well Uh, and they thought that there was quite a a size difference between the front and the rear paws. The front paws measured between 8 to 10 centimetres and if you think about that that's huge. That's huge for an animal that's only supposed to be 30 centimetres in mm-hmm. length. So that's, its hands were 
a third of the size of its body. But it matched the description of, of what the Irvings were saying Jeff looked like. They said that he had oversized human-like hands. The paw prints were sent to the Zoological Society for analysis. <clears throat> and I, I just love how far they go to, to try and find out if this is real or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they also talked about the disparity of size between the front and the rear paws. Also pointed out that the imprints displayed none of the folds and textures that have would have been expected from a real animal skin. It's been suggested that perhaps one of the Irvings made the imprints f- with a stick. Certainly, it's hard to see these samples and fur and paw prints as anything other than a hoax. Yeah. It's not looking good. No. The photos. Yes. So, as you said, they were asked to take some photos. She got the camera she asked for, didn't she? She did. Oh, sorry. Jeff asked for. <laughs> Oops. Oh, that was my outside voice. Uh, and... The photos are not great. One of the photos uh, shows a log or of wood of massive vegetation, and there's a sort of a head to the left, and they've determined that it's actually pareidolia. It makes it look like there's something there, but there's there's actually not. It's the blades of grass in the foreground um, that sort of make it look like there is something there. Uh, there was the other one. Um, there was another photo that looked very much like it was a stuffed toy. <laughs> like the one on the fence? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, there's one where that looks like, and people have said, oh, it's just a cat mm-hmm. sitting on uh-huh, the fence. It is, yes, because it resembles a cat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... There, there was another one that suggested that the photo depicts artfully arranged fox fur stoles, which would have been common in the 1930s. But they weren't the type of people that could afford to have those luxuries of a fox fur stole. Mm-hmm. But as I was saying, Jeff used to steal from the neighbours. Yes. So I wonder if something was stolen from the neighbours to create that. But who is it that's actually stealing it? This is the question, isn't it? Let us move on now to... uh, Oh, where shall we go? Vori. So in 1970, 40 years after this all happened, a journalist actually tracked her down and persuaded to have an interview with her. And still to the day, she's maintaining that, that Jeff was not a hoax... And she doesn't even look upon the whole thing as a a happy time in her life. She said, I was shy. I still am shy. uh, And it made people not want to meet me because they thought I was a mental person or I was a ventriloquist. Uh, And, you know, we didn't make money out of it. And, you know, if, if this was real, surely, if it was a hoax, surely I'd be trying to make money out of it now. So I don't want to have anything to do with people. I just want to hide and forget about this. Other people, other children used to call her the spook. And at that, that age, yes. that's, yeah. that's horrible. And it even stopped her from getting married because, you know, who wants to have someone like her in the family? I I felt quite sorry for her, but she did say that her father was really wrapped up in it and quite obsessed with it. Hmm. Oh, thanks, Koo. I'd just like to say that's my dog in the background having a groan. That's not Renata making 
really awful noises from a place that we won't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, ah. Look, finally, she, she said, yes, there was a little animal who talked and did all those things. He said he was a mongoose and said we should call him Jeff. But I do wish he had let us alone. Now let's move on to Mummy Dearest. We don't hear a lot from Margaret. Oh, no, we don't. We don't. But the locals all do believe this is a big hoax. And they think it was a combination of the mother and the daughter. Now, remember, it was the mother that was having interactions with Jeff and the daughter. And the the husband was thinking he was seeing things. So there was a letter that was sent to uh, Harry Price saying, Poor old Irving had been taken for a ride by his wife and daughter who did not enjoy life on a lonely farm and were attempting to frighten him into selling up and leaving. And that was their aim. And it was only following James Irving's death in 1945 that they left. Now, you said they had all left before that, but according to this article... He died and then they left. So oh. I don't know which one's right because, as we said, there's inconsistencies. Mm-hmm. Now, there was also a childhood friend, Kathleen Green, who said that Vori was a very accomplished ventriloquist and had the ability to throw her voice. Or was Kathleen just a bitter person who um, wanted to jump in with the other two kids who saw the the mongoose and, and have her little claim to fame? Now, I also read when I was looking at this that um, someone came in on that conversation and said actually throwing your voice is an impossibility because when you look at how ventriloquists work they're always close to what they're projecting or or what looks like there is talking or they're they're casting their voice to so they're not far away it's impossible to actually throw your voice they muffle their voice to make it sound like it's coming from a distance. Mm. It's coming yeah. from somewhere other than where they are. And I remember one of the stories I read that they were looking at Vori while uh, the mongoose was talking. They couldn't see the mongoose, but she was sitting in the room and she had her hand over her mouth and um, was like she was concealing her mouth mm-hmm. whilst this mongoose was talking. Mm-hmm. And uh, he couldn't quite see if there was anything that she was doing, but he thought that she may have been throwing her voice or doing the yeah the the voice thing. But when he finally got to have a look at her, she was chewing on a piece of string. But then we've seen ventriloquists hold a mouthful of water, yes, <laughs> and do their thing. So. You're also talking about a 13-year-old who has been detached from the rest of society and where has she learned this? She hasn't been able to Google how to become a ventriloquist. Yes, unless when she was living wherever they were living before she learned how to do it because they were in a better better world oh. there. But no wonder they wanted to try and scare the father out of getting out of that place oh. if it was so horrible. Yeah. Now, uh, all right, now we'll just go into this little bit here. So you mentioned that before the family arrived, there was uh, phenomena or things happening. Yes. So there is actual local folklore that said there was 
something there before. There were some men digging there many years ago and they unearthed a flat stone covering a funerary urn which contained black ashes. So they found somebody's remains. Yes. They buried it in the hedge bank a long time afterwards and not extremely long ago, a young man hunting rabbits thought he saw a rabbit bolting to the hedge. He began pulling away the stones and soil, and while doing so, he felt something invisible pushing him back. When this happened a second time, a sudden fear took him, and he ran down the hill till he reached his home. A white stone in the hedge still marks the spot where that urn is buried. Hmm. There was also someone who purchased the the farm in 1916 uh, prior to the Irvings moving in uh, they had uh, Callister and Kelly do necessary oh sorry when they purchased the farm in 1916 they had the two workmen come in and do the necessary repairs to make the house livable and the two men refused to stay in the house overnight saying look here John I cannot sleep in that room I've heard strange noises and there is something uncanny about this place so have yes. they layered the ideas in before they've even arrived. And with just local superstition and things. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Now let's get into the results of what Harry Price thought was going on. So Harry Price thought that Jeff was a hoax. Um, not one that was designed for financial gain, which in some cases this has happened, but due to the family's circumstances uh the fact that they were you know really struggling uh they were even offered quite a lot of money they were offered money three guineas for jeff's photos and they said no and an american theatrical agent offered them fifty thousand dollars half to be paid in cash up front in return for the exclusive rights over jeff that's pretty and they said no Mm -hmm. so they're not in it for the money so why are they into it so Price believed it was psychological, that the whole family must have been mixed up in whatever was happening there, but that that still, you need the motive. But he thinks that it was, oh, they call it a shared delusion, uh, a collective delusion, that uh, they were all... They may have heard the stories, like, you know, they were mm-hmm. building and they were mm-hmm. putting stuff in and the mm-hmm. builders are refusing to stay there. It's freaking people out. So they become hyper alert to what might be going on. And they they might have had rats in the walls. And the father seemed to become obsessed with it. So that that was Harry Price's take on it. I don't think it covers everything. Then we have Nandor Fodor, which we don't hear a lot about, but he was somebody else that came in and investigated as well. And he said that uh, it wasn't a hoax. He thought the Irvings were very sincere, frank, simple people. He discarded the poltergeist theory as well uh, because Jeff really didn't have supernatural powers, although he was meant to be psychic. I know that they did a a test of... um, uh, the oh, this where they put coins outside and Jeff was going to tell them how many were heads up and how many heads de- were down and mm-hmm. they said he got it right sometimes. I wonder if it was 50% of the time. <laughs> well, you know, heads and tails, that sort of thing. 
but uh, he eats, he drinks, he sleeps, he leaves teeth marks uh, in the butter in the larder, he eats the fat of the bacon, he catches rabbits. So there is this physical presence of Jeff rather than a poltergeist type yes, effect. He said that poltergeists are always invisible. And yet Jeff can be seen or has been seen by Allegedly people. Allegedly seen, yeah. Allegedly seen. Only by very specific people, hey? But after that, then Nandor's decided that he's going to review his opinion a bit later on. He had a bit more of a think about it. And it took a really interesting turn. So we've all been thinking it's the daughter and the mother or, mm-hmm. the, or the daughter. Mm-hmm. But now he's thinking that this is actually... Because of what happened to Jim Irving and his, yeah, he he had a successful business. He had plans in life, and now he's on this farm and he's he's mentally being starved from the culture and everything that had surrounded him. And he's on a dirt patch with miserable wife and and daughter, and that this Jeff is actually a split off of Jim's personality. Oh wow! I know, right? And that the. It was his unconscious that has created this hybrid of Jeff, fitting no category of human, animals or ghosts, yet having common features with all of them. You did say he was obsessed. Yes. And weirdly obsessed with Jeff. Yes. Hmm. And was he, I wonder, was he always there when Jeff talked? I don't know. Nobody's mentioned no that, have they? No one's mentioned that, have they? Hmm. But now it just even sort of keeps spiralling. So there was the, the Jim or his name, James, got sick and the whole family came back to be with him as he was dying. And they all keep forgetting to mention that there was an older daughter. Was there? There's two children. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I have not heard about yeah. this older daughter. Her name was Elsie. Did she leave because it was just all crazy? I No, she <clears> had <throat> left. Be- I don't think she came with them on oh, the right, move. I right, think she yeah. stayed she where stayed. she was. Mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of information about her, but she'd been very sceptical about Jeff, Jeff the whole time. So in the last 12 months of the life, he became bedridden. He was helpless. He was rambling at times with his voice assuming an enormous power for such a frail body and when he did eventually die both mrs irving and her daughter told maris uh, morrison who was writing this book about them they were both sitting before the fireplace and on the mantelpiece was a branch they used to sweep the fireplace when lo and behold this very brush started to move backwards and forwards which amazed them it stopped just as irving died oh they afterwards tried to discover how it happened but could not find anything. Elsie said there were strange noises in the beams while she stayed there for six months. And when Vori came for a day or two from Douglas to stay, these sounds were ac- accentuated, but there was no talking, nor had there been for four years. Uh, so, is this... Did they have... Is there ability in the family? Yeah, but... They're not understanding what it is, and so therefore, they because I mean they could maybe not be understanding what it is, yeah, and you know not connecting the fact that Jeff has been created, but it's them doing it, yeah. And it, that if the father and the daughter have the ability, mm-hmm. then 
they could have created it. Mm-hmm. And mother's fueling it because she doesn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. So it could be all three of them unwittingly creating this creature. Yeah. Uh, I. This is so confusing. It is so, so confusing. Just to put an extra nail in the coffin here. So they, they said in this article, and this is from uh, sas-space.sas.ac.uk, which I think is actually just uh, the Fortean Times from uh, the magazine issue 269. They said that Jeff seemed to be tied up in some way with, with James Irving, who with the onset of his illness coincided roughly with Jeff's disappearance. Now, Jeff had described himself as being an earthbound spirit, and this was something that Mrs. Irving came to believe, because this is some of the things that he would say, that he mm-hmm. was an earthbound mm-hmm. when he was asked to describe what he was. Uh, regarding his supposed clairvoyant gifts as proof that he was no animal, James Irving recounted a curious plea repeated by Jeff during his earlier appearances. In the early days, which is 1931 to 32, Jeff would suddenly cease talking late at night and say in what I would describe as a pleading and pathetic voice, Oh, let me go, Jim. Let me go. As if he were detaining him by some physical force or spiritual force. When he asked where he wanted to go, he'd always answered, I must go back to the underground. Well, be off with you. I'm not keeping you, he would say. And they would vanish. Uh, He would then call out vanished in a long, drawn-out manner and he could be heard to jump either up or down and then there would be silence afterwards. So that's that's another whole different level of that's what that could be. Weird. That, Absolutely. That could weird. be Fay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hello. And I, look, you've got to connect all of this to these people as they're also doing other things. It would mean then that <clears throat> the father would have had to go out and listen to the gossip and bring in the animals. And I remember in the articles that I read that Bori was very good at killing rabbits. Yeah. And she would she was astoundingly good at it and uh, would supplement the family and bring rabbits but in. are they using that as an excuse to go and get more rabbits than their fair share and they're blaming it on the mongoose because then they sell them in town and make some money on them? Oh, goodness. I know. Do we know any more? <laughs> there is probably more because there are, like I said, many, many books. Um, Jeff has a website, yes. or a Facebook page. Um, they have actually done a movie about it. So there is a movie out there. Um, I think from Nandor Fordor's side. Yeah, he was more of a believer. Yep. But then went to the whole psychological thing. Yep. Um, and so this is a deep, dark hole. We're never going to know because the the people who were the core of it all are now gone and it's all hearsay from here on in. We don't have diaries or anything that they've written. Uh, and who do we believe with those diaries if they'd written them anyway? True. So just remember, was it the, the cotton, cotton Slope Fairies? Yeah. yeah. They, they adamantly kept saying they were real right up to the very end. Yes. And they were very obviously cut out pictures. Yes, yes. And you had someone like, um, what's his name? The author, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, believing them. Yes. Adamantly believing them. 
Um, so, yeah. All right. Well, that I have given you my evidence. Renata, is this a true manifestation of something supernatural or not? I'm going to say that it is a true manifestation of something supernatural because it certainly isn't something that is normal. No. So it's super normal. Yep. So it is it is in that realm of crazy weird stuff that you know maybe we sh- just shouldn't try and explain. It is part of someone's life and life story. Um and it yeah. We've got no words enough. No. No, this this has been very discombobulating (laughs) (laughs) but I really enjoyed it just finding all these bits and pieces about these people and then putting it all together and going oh my god and they were simple people I mean um, James was quite an intelligent man he did do a lot of traveling his world was a lot wider um, than his the rest of his family mm. uh, were they very jealous that he'd go off and do his work and see all of these wonderful places and they were stuck at home maybe they were um, but I, even with Vori leaving school at 13 how much education could have she have gotten and poor old mum sitting there in the house twiddling her thumbs for hours on on at a time mm. with no electricity no phone nothing to connect her to the outside world she would have been going nuts yep Yep. So this, I think, is uh, something supernatural created by people. Yeah. Yeah. Or not. Or not. (laughs) Or not. Anyway, let us know your thoughts. You can message us on our True Hauntings uh, Facebook page and and, uh, give us your thoughts on all of this. That brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. It's certainly messed with my brains and scrambled them. But we'll be back next week with another one. If you want to support us, consider becoming a Grand Pooh Bar Patreon. Just search for Anne and Renata Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Or you can buy us a cup of coffee. Type in buy a cup of coffee, Anne and Renata, and you'll find that there. And we'll put those down in the comments so you can find it. But thanks for supporting us. Share it around and see you on the dark side. And don't forget, stay frightfully good. good. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Or visit their website, www.anneandrenata.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW.